Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Impossible Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my good friend, Mike Pacione. Mike is a workshop facilitator, speaker coach, and he basically, his entire mission is to help people tell better stories. I have some of my best offline conversations with Mike. He's great to talk to. I've been wanting to get him on the podcast to talk about the power of story. And if you guys have been around Impossible long enough, you'll know that story is one of the things that is the driving force behind Impossible. When you're creating your Impossible list, you're not just doing it to do a bunch of different things, but you're doing it to push your limits, do something impossible, and tell a good story. And the idea is that if your life is a story, make it one worth telling. And so we talk all about that, some of the background and the influences that kind of shape my thinking there, but also elements of a good story, how to give a good talk, how to be specific, how to present better, but then also bringing that into your life and thinking about if you had to talk about your life, how would you live your life differently so it would actually make a better talk. Actually thinking about that purposely is a really useful exercise in deciding the types of things that you want to be doing going forward. So that is coming up. But before we get into the show, I got to tell you guys about a couple things. First of all, if you don't have an Impossible shirt, what are you doing? Head on over to ImpossibleGear.com, pick up an Impossible shirt, and wear it while doing your next thing on your Impossible list. It is the most comfortable way to do something uncomfortable. If you're going to be have to do something uncomfortable and push your limits, you might as well be wearing awesome apparel. So check it out. It's a good reminder every day to do something that challenges you. Fair warning, if you do get an Impossible shirt, you may be tempted to do 200 burpees in a row, run an ultra marathon, or wear it under your shirt on your next speaking engagement and then open it up like you're a superhero. So that might happen, might not. It's a disclaimer. I'm required to say it. So check it out, impossiblegear.com. Also, if you guys want to take care of your bodies better, check out movewellapp.com. 10-minute mobility routines to help you recover faster, get stronger, and be more bulletproof against injuries, okay? You got to take care of yourself. You got to help yourself recover. There's no such thing as overtraining. There's just under recovery. Movableapp.com, check it out. Some new stuff coming up there in a few days. All right, so that's it for announcements, guys. Let's jump in to my interview on The Power of Story with Mike Bacchio. Welcome back to another episode of the Impossible Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Mike Pacione. Yeah, you got it. And I pronounced it right. Coming to you from a undisclosed location in Portland. <laughs> and uh, I first met Mike as the guy. <laughs> you like that, huh? <laughs> like, we're like, it's Prohibition era or something. We're at a coffee shop. <laughs> we can't tell people. We, we, we can't, can't have people just showing up out of nowhere. I think Bill Simmons always says that, so I stole that. <laughs> I met Mike five years ago. We just decided... At least five years ago. Five or more, yeah. Uh, as the guy behind the guy for a lot of guys. And uh, Mike's specialty is helping people tell better stories, specifically in speaking. But you want to correct me? You want to give me your mini bio to kick things off? Yeah, sure. Specifically in speeches, but in life, really. Because to me, a speech, I don't want to sound like too much of a hippie here, but like a speech is life, man. We are in Portland, yeah. so that's okay. <laughs> If you can tell a better story in a speech, then you can apply that same thing to the way that you converse with people. When I train people to be better storytellers, like I'm training them to be better communicators. And that might be on stage in front of a bunch of people. But frankly, it might just make them more interesting at a cocktail party. So this is one of my 
favorite topics I've written about on the blog before. I've written a lot about this and how story, not just telling a better story with your words, but like in your life, help change the direction and trajectory of your life a bunch. But before we jump into like what you're doing and what you're training and everything like that, like how did you get to where you are and what are you doing right now? And then we'll jump into all the details yeah, yeah, about yeah. story. Oh yeah, I should say what I do for a <laughs> So I've always had attention issues, not like massive where I needed to be medicated, but just I, I would get bored really easily. And when I was a kid, even going back to like show and tell and such, I just found it really boring when people would be like, this is a stuffed animal. It is filled with plush material and things like that. And I always found it way more interesting when there was a story involved. I just never knew that that's something that you could do for a job. So actually, when I was in college, there was, I mean, you know, college lectures, high school, I don't know, maybe you had more interesting teachers than I did. But my teachers were very like, here are the facts, here are the bullet points. And there was this one guy I had in college that was awesome. It was Dr. Johnson. I went to University of Richmond. He made everything into... I didn't realize this at the time, but what he really did is he turned all of class into stories. Like it started as a comedy routine. It felt like a comedy routine, but it was really him telling stories. And I was like, yes. Like I remember sitting in the back of the class just thinking, oh my gosh, this, I always knew this was possible. Why don't other people do this? So from that moment on, that was freshman year of college. I want to be a college professor. I went to graduate school for reasons that will remain undisclosed. I decided I did go. not want to be a college professor. <laughs> I enjoyed the teaching part. I'll say that. But then it was like, well, now what do I do? So in order to pay off graduate school, I got a, I got a regular person job and I was teaching on the side. So I was an adjunct. I had a guy who came up to me during a break during one of my, one of my teaching sessions. And he's like, you know, Mike, you're a really engaging presenter. I work at this really big shoe company in Beaverton, Oregon. Would you like to present at this really big shoe company sometime? Nike, obviously. I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, that, <laughs> that seems like something I should do. So I say yes. And like any opportunity in life that's over your head, whether it's asking a girl out who's way out of your league or saying yes to an opportunity that you shouldn't really have, there's this initial euphoria of like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I have this chance that's followed closely by, Oh my God, like, what am I going to do now? He's like, well, what do you want to talk about? I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything to talk about. So I, I had two or three phone calls were just basically stalled. And it hit the point of, okay, this is ridiculous. I have to give him something to talk about. But I don't have groundbreaking research. I don't the class that that guy came to, I was talking about how to use Twitter and LinkedIn in the job search. It's not like inherently interesting stuff. Or I didn't think so anyway. It certainly wasn't what I wanted to talk about when I'm presenting at Nike. It's a lot of pressure to make it like yeah. something big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and you know, this is going to be recorded and spotlight on me and I'm going to be like clicking through and like, this is what a hashtag is. This is back when Twitter was new. This is what a hashtag is. It just wasn't that interesting to me. I called one of my college friends and he, John, what should I talk about? What I heard him say is, why don't you talk about the Tower of Story? I don't have any idea what that is, but he said it with enough confidence that I figured I'd read it in a textbook once upon a time. I'm picturing one of those college textbooks that's like, you know, figure 3-1, the Tower of Story. Okay, I get on the phone with Nike people next day. Okay, yeah, I've got a great topic. It's the Tower of Story. And Joel, thank heavens I was not in the room with these people because they immediately, they're like, oh, the power of story. Oh, story is very powerful. They're like really pronouncing the P. I'm like, oh my God. He said power, not tower, you moron. I get off the phone, save face. So this is how arbitrary my success is. But I mean, to my credit, then I was ready. 
once I had that topic, I put a lot of work into it and it's, it's getting like a week or so before I'm ready to give a speech. And I've run it by one of my friends and he's one of these poker player type guys who just doesn't give you much of an opinion. You can't really read him. I give him the whole presentation. And I, well, what do you think of this? And he goes, you know, it's good, but there's a woman who gives a Ted talk on basically this exact topic. What? How could she talk about this? Da, da, da. Look up. There's this woman, Nancy Duarte. He's given a TED Talk on this topic, and it's way better than anything I'm going to give. So what do you do at that point? I mean, you have a few different options. You can pretend it doesn't exist. You can steal it. Or you could do what I should have done but didn't do, which is what you should do is you should just reference it. But I, I didn't think to do that. So I give my talk at Nike. It's fine. I mean, it's a B plus, But that's one that you want to just absolutely crush. I didn't crush it, but I was smart enough to say, okay, there's someone out there in the world that's better than me at this thing. I want to get in touch with her. So I wrote Nancy an email. It was a really good email. Spent like 45 minutes crafting it. And I'm changing little words in there. I'm changing A to the, doing all these things that don't really matter. I remember waking up early in the morning to send the email because I want to send the email early in the morning to a CEO. I want to get them when they're in the office before everybody else is there. Send the email. I remember taking a deep breath. All you have to do is click a button to send. It seems like it should be more than that for something that's going to change your life. But just click the button. Okay. We'll see what happens. Go work out bike into work, check my Gmail first thing. That's what I always did because I was kind of bored at the job. And I see the Gmail, me, comma, Nancy. I'm like, who's Nancy? Like, I'd forgotten immediately who I had written to. <laughs> and she'd written back five minutes later. So similar experience to the Nike thing. When there was just reward from risk reward, because the, the only real risk is she doesn't reply to me. It's no big deal. Then when she wrote back, I'm like, oh my God, she wrote back. Now what do I do? But I'm turning this into a longer story than it needs to be. That One thing led to another, yada, yada, yada. Now I work for Duarte. That's the name of the company, Duarte. I fly all over the world training people on telling better stories. And that's specific to presentations, both in the way that they speak and in their slide decks. How long have you been doing that for? More than five years, yeah. Okay. And so when I said, you know, when I introduced you and I said, you're the guy behind the guy for a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff that you've done is like a lot of our friends yeah, yeah. in the internet space. I know, you know, we've talked in the past about, you know, speaking presentations and stuff like that. And what specifically do you do as far as training people to tell better stories, you know, from an onstage perspective first, and then we can talk about other stuff that's not necessarily on stage. Right. Yeah. The first thing is so obvious and people are going to like not write this down because it's so obvious, but everybody screws it up. What are you trying to say in one sentence? What are you trying to persuade people to do? Sometimes it's like overtly persuasive court of law sort of thing. Other times it's an interesting keynote. I mean, a TED talk, you're still trying to persuade people of something. Persuade people to take cold showers. That's yours. I don't know if you thought that way at the time, but... It's got like 700,000 views now. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's good. I trashed that talk. It was supposed to be a different talk 48 hours before I went up and then I completely burned that talk and did the cold Dude, What were you supposed to be talking about? That's a really good question. I don't remember at this point, but I pitched them something. They emailed me. They asked me for something and I think I gave them a topic and then I spent weeks trying to like camera out the talk for it Yeah, and it wasn't coming together. Mm-hmm. It was one of those ones you're like, this is a good idea. I should have a talk on this. Yeah. And then you're <laughs> forcing the talk to happen and the talk's not happening. And so at that point, I was like, all right, that's not going to work. I think it was maybe just way too long or something about it just not coming together. And I was just like, if I do this, it's not going to be good. And so I nuked that. And then I was like, what's the one thing that I've gotten you know, the most hate mail on out of anything I've ever written? And so that was cold showers. And I'm like, I've got that down pat. And so then, then I basically had to go, you know, I can tell you, you know, do the cold shower talk in my sleep. But then I had to like structure it out so right. it made sense in a talk format. Because I can ramble about it for hours, but I had 12 to 15 minutes yeah. and I needed to hit that mark. So that was basically 48 hours of prep for 
That would be super interesting to figure out what you were supposed to be talking about if you can't remember it. Because I wonder if... I've got the email somewhere. I can dig it up. Well, because here's what happens sometimes is you have a topic that you're just not excited about in the moment. And there are times in life where you just have to power through and remind yourself why that matters to you. There are other times where your brain just isn't ready for it yet. I think this was one of the ones where like, you try to write a essay in third grade. So yeah. we always learned the spaceship. You start with like a Webster's Dictionary quote? Like, what do you mean? This is how we learned to write essays when we were a kid. You start with the spaceship. So you start with this big oval, and this is your overall topic. And then you write three little different landing gears, and they have small ovals. And so you have, this is what I'm going to talk about. Here's the three oh, different points. That does points. look like a spaceship. Yeah, I can and then that. Yeah. Maybe each point has another three little lander things underneath it. And so I was trying to write it like that. And I was like, okay, well, here's point one. Here's point two. Here's point three. And it was like a good talk, but if you wanted to give people in a corporate setting or, you know, people are, you know, didn't have to be there, but all these people were showing up for like a TED talk and they wanted something that it's either going to energize them, you know, make them think differently, you know, give them something to do. I was, you know, it's one of those things. You're just like, I could keep pounding this nail into the wall, but eventually like something's going to break. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's really interesting. When you watch TED talks, People say they're only 15 minutes, but a talk that's not interesting. 15 minutes is a long time. You go read the comments on the YouTube channel. And people are like, you can put this in 1.5 speed and you're not going to miss it. You know, like, oh, man. 700,000 views is not that bad. So, okay. I should sorry. answer your question. Go back to your question. Yeah. Yes. You should, number one, figure out what you're trying to say in one sentence. What are you trying to persuade people to do? You should also be mapping out how that's going to transform the audience. So where they start and where they end. At Duarte, we call that the move from, move to. Uh, thinking about that in movie terms, that's the, the hero at the beginning of the story and the hero at the end. And there should be some level of transformation there. If there's not, eh, it's probably not going to be an interesting story. I mean, movies, TV shows, they don't feature the character not changing. I always use Breaking Bad as an example, even though I never watched that show. I watched the first three episodes. It was really good, but it was, I just didn't like what it was going to do to me as a viewer. But like, if Walter White just stays a chemistry teacher... For eight years, like nobody's watching that show. Like, we actually watch for transformation. So when you're planning out a story, and this is true whether it's cocktail party story, whether it's on stage story, whether it's the story of your company, there should be some level of transformation from beginning to end. Sometimes that's massive, like this gulf-like transformation. Other times it's smaller, but there should be some level of transformation. So when people tell a story and there's big letdown, it's because maybe there were seemingly high stakes and then nothing really happened or nothing really affected the character yeah there are a few things there so sometimes the person's just not a good storyteller when they tell a story and there's a letdown. you had to be there <laughs> yeah you had to be there other no, times you're just bad at storytelling yeah, <laughs> totally other times the peak of the story is something that happened but the ending isn't that great what do you mean by that okay so i won't tell this whole story because it's 15 minutes long but i was staying at a hotel in new haven connecticut there's this guy that i passed in the hallway that looked at me weird and I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird look from that guy. And it turns out that he wanted to get into bed with me. I realized that when he called my room in the middle of the night and said, I'm standing outside your door. Right. But that's the peak of the story. Then I call the hotel lobby and da 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 da. So sometimes the problem is that the story peaks in the middle. So what you actually have to do if you're telling that story is you have to come up with a good ending. And that might involve looking back further so that the story extends longer, so that it, it starts before I look the guy in the eye. Because there, there has to be some resolution at the end or else it's a letdown. Here's another idea. Tread carefully with this one. But make up an ending. And then let the audience experience that amazing ending and then say, no, that's not what happened. That gives the audience the same emotional release as if it happened without you lying. That's interesting. It's giving them the expected payoff and then pulling them back into... Totally. It's an Andy Stanley move. 
<laughs> Andy Stanley's my favorite speaker. This pastor in Atlanta. Okay. But I've heard him do that a couple of times where he like gives you the end of the story and as an audience member, you're like, what? No, that's not what happened. Why would I do that? Why is he your favorite speaker? Oh man, there's nobody better. Like the Bible to me is some people are really good at reading it and I'm not one of them. I'm pretty medium. Like I'm not dumb, but I don't like get all the, like to really, really understand. You have to understand the context and unpack it. And he is so good at using story and metaphor to help you see what was really happening. He's so good at that. Interesting. What do people screw up on stories? So you mentioned you'll pay off the ending too early. Maybe there's no, you know, like the stakes aren't worth it or whatever. But what do you see people when they're coming in and giving their talk? You know, whether it's just the thing you mentioned at the beginning where it's focus, they don't know what they're trying to say, so they don't say it well. But specifically in giving, you know, talks or speeches, what do you see are the most common things that people mess up? Yeah, I mean, number one thing by far is you confuse facts with story. Okay. Here's a fact, here's a fact, here's a fact, here's a fact, here's a fact. Can't you see this is what you should do? That's not that's not what motivates people. Numbers are wonderful. They're wonderful for someone to sit down with and make a decision. I mean, they're wonderful for personal finance to say, here's how much money we have left. We can or cannot do that. But for someone to be listening to you, that doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work as well as story does. Look no further than the last two presidential elections. I mean, the last two people who have gotten elected, this is not a political comment. I can hear everybody like cringing, like, oh my gosh, he's going to talk politics. But <laughs> this is not a political comment. The last two people who have been elected have not been the best. If you were promoting people like we do at regular companies, you would not have promoted these two people. They would have not gone all the way up to CEO from where they were. Mm -hmm. But they both were the best at telling stories, like the best of the candidates at telling stories. Stories are actually what motivate people. I'm not saying it has to be once upon a time. It doesn't have to be. And I'm not saying like it should be fictional. But a story is a way of packaging information so that your audience can understand. I like that. Say that again. Story is a way of packaging information so that your audience can understand what you're talking about. That's good. I think going back to the fact thing that you mentioned, it's like for people who are very analytical, it's like, okay, well, there's just... 10,000 facts on this one side and there's one fact on this side. So obviously facts are going to win. And if people can't utilize those facts or they can't understand those in a way, I've talked about this in the past with something like the paleo diet. Is the paleo diet actually what cavemen ate X amount of years ago? I don't know. Don't really care. It's a story that lets people glom on to the fact of a framework of eating that they're able to say, okay, yeah, there probably wasn't all this processed food back then. They probably didn't have access to so much sugar. Probably a good idea to cut those out. And, you know, from a historical context, whether or not that's actually specifically accurate, you know, it varied widely by region and what you had access to and all these different things. And there's tons of different regions with tons of different diets. But when you like look at generalities and people are able to take that story of, okay, that's why this works. It's subversive in a way and, and kind of like gets into their brain and then they're able to glom onto, okay, this is the framework that I'm doing and there's a reason and now I'm able to do it. And if you just sat down and said 20,000 years ago, this is exactly like if you just gave them the facts of sugar's bad, people have those facts. Why aren't they doing anything with it? You need to do something else to get into their brain yep. and kind of make it like an idea virus. I think. Yep, totally. It makes it, it's so much easier to remember the paleo diet when the story is this is how cavemen used to eat versus do not eat bread. You must always use almond flour, you know, like, <laughs> things like that. Like that. 
totally had almond flour way back then. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I never really <laughs> thought about that before. Like, how in the world? Like, where do they get off saying almond flour as part of the paleo diet? <laughs> I mean, they had rocks. They had almonds. <laughs> Stick with it. Confusing information with story is the biggest thing. And he- here's a good way of thinking about that. What a lot of people do. So what you should be doing is you should be giving your audience Star Wars, the story of Star Wars, not here's how Star Wars was made. And that's what a lot of people do, whether it's presenting or talking to other people. It's like, and then we move the camera over here and we put it at this many pixels. Like, that is not what motivates people. One of the things, uh, I had Jordan B. Peterson on here, episode... Your guy, yeah. Episode six or something like that. One of the things that I think he, you know, whether or not people like him or dislike him, one of the things that I think he's done in a good way is taken, like, these myths and these stories of... You know, whether it's from the Bible, whether it's from uh, like Greek characters, all these different people that he'll talk about. And uh, he'll basically pull out the like life lessons like embedded in these stories. And that's always been really interesting to me as like, you know, cultures that didn't necessarily, you know, maybe they wrote it down. Maybe they did write some things down, but a lot of the stuff was like oral culture where they're talking to each other and telling stories and they pass along bits and pieces of like best practices if you will through stories of different people and i think him being able to unpack that has been part of what has taken from this random no-name professor yeah. two or three years ago to this guy that is literally selling out you know stadiums yeah, yeah <laughs> or yeah. not stadiums yeah. but, but theaters it's really interesting to me that we want there to be facts 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 these are facts and have that be all that matters. But then there's like a reality of humans is that we need story for whatever reason. Yeah. Like, so have you looked at the, they've done the thing where they, they hook up like the little blue sticker things with wires to people's heads and they, they measure how their brain is hearing things. And when you're just hearing information, it's pretty plateaued, like not, not flat lines, like you're dying, but just, it's pretty plateaued. But when, when people are hearing stories, that's when you get the little blips, like the parts where the brain's getting excited. On some level, we're wired for it. We were talking about this earlier about why people listen to podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you guys can write in and let me know if you think I'm way off. But when I'm listening to like a fact-based podcast, I have to sit down and like be in a specific spot to listen to it. And I can't just throw it on whatever. But if I'm listening to a couple people have a conversation or hearing about a story or listening to a podcast about a story that's happening in the NBA or in the culture or whatever... I can glom onto that a lot easier than I, if I'm just going to hear 30 minutes of facts after each other. Yeah, nobody would listen to that podcast. Just someone <laughs> listing facts. Or like, yeah, like, let me read last night's box score in the NBA. Just an audiobook of the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> One piece of your job is helping people tell better stories on stage. Yeah. The other piece is, you know, we can talk about branding or companies yeah. telling better stories as far as, you know, what their company is doing. But one of the things that's going to come out throughout this whole podcast and, you know, on Impossible is just the act of not just telling a good story, but doing things that create good stories. Mm-hmm. And so when you're working with companies that are working on their storytelling techniques as a company or brand, what are things that you typically have to talk to them about? Or what are people messing up as a company? Are they the same things that they're messing up personally in their normal storytelling? Mm, yes and no. The trickier thing there. And my friend Don runs this whole company, StoryBrand, www.storybrand.com. The bigger thing that companies screw up is they make... I mean, Don always says they make themselves the hero instead of the customer. And the customer is the hero. Because, yeah, brands... I guess it depends on what type of brand we're talking about. But brands don't usually... They're not as big on 
fact, 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 because they have to get your attention first. Not like every single company that does well, but a lot of companies that do well, it's through telling story. And just like a small example of that in town here in Portland, we've got this grocery store called New Seasons, greatest grocery store in the world. And I was I was thinking about why. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, part of it is like the food itself is better and da da da. But I'm like, well, why? And it occurred to me that someone at New Seasons must have walked through your classic league average Safeway type grocery store and said, okay, well, what happens when you walk through Safeway? You're looking for something on your grocery list. You can't find it. It's hard to find someone to help you. There's not a great design sense. It's pretty drab inside. Paying for things can take forever. And someone at New Seasons looked at that and basically said, that's the villain. We're going to go in the opposite direction. So New Seasons... It is so easy to find someone that, that helps you. They are so cheery when they help you. They are writing the wrong of grocery stores being a bad experience. It's like bright colors inside, great sense of design inside. When you pay, it just gets emailed to you. I mean, you have to like fill it out the first time. But once you've used a credit card there once, your receipts just get emailed to you. So you don't have to be like looking for that. The eight-foot CVS, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like CVS receipt. Your... Right, yeah. right. That's what most grocery stores do. And I'm like, well, what did they do? They said, here's what's... Evil is a strong word about Safeway, but like, here's what the bad guys do is they make it like a bad experience. We're going to go the other direction. So the result of that is when my wife goes to New Seasons without... So first of all, we call it New Seasons versus the store. Notice that when you go to like a regular grocery store, you're like, oh, I'm going to the store versus when my wife... When, when we go to New Seasons, we're like, I'm going to New Seasons. And when Jess goes there without me, I'm like, huh? To summarize their story in in a sentence like they're trying to make the grocery store experience a pleasant one for customers i had a uh, steve tidball from volleback and they're an adventure apparel company and i was listening back to it the other day and one of the things he was saying is you know a lot of people say oh we're here for cool stuff we like supporting people who do cool stuff but very few brands are actually doing interesting things and they, may, they might make cool gear sometimes but they're not necessarily like on the forefront yeah and so he went out and hired uh, a team of like whatever the uh, British equivalent of Navy SEALs is, basically hired a couple guys that they're friends with to go out, create this piece of treasure. Like it's a, it's like a specifically carved piece of treasure. Go hide it somewhere in the world. Got an Oscar winning film director to make a movie of it. And they embedded all these clues in the video. And then they're like, okay, if this is somewhere on earth. If you find this treasure... <laughs> Uh, you'll get free volleyback gear for life. Oh my gosh. And they come out with a bunch of stuff every single year. And so they released this and I probably spent the first three weeks after it came out just going through this video frame by frame. And I have a <laughs> decent idea of where it is, but like I know people have been there and they're like, one of the things Steve said is even if you can find it, yeah. even if you know where it is, it's still really hard to get. Like even if you know exactly where it is and you have all the skills to go get it, like you still really hard to like actually i don't even know if you could see it or not but like to actually go get it and bring it back and be like take a photo of it this is what i have like i have this procurement of it like you can't just like stay online and be like oh yeah i know where it is i figured it out like you have to like show up in the world wherever that thing is and go get it and so one of the things i liked about that was like i don't know if he was trying to do this on purpose or not but you know most people's stories like we're here for cool stuff we like doing cool stuff and he's like we're going to add more adventure into the world. There's all these things that, you know, there's no more countries to be found. You know, maybe the next frontier is space. But if you're not going to space, like, what can you do on Earth still? That's still an adventure. And so he's like, what if we just added our own piece of adventure around the world on a small little basis? 
you know, twice a year or something like that. That is awesome. Let me buy all of your stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so let's put that into like storytelling practice. So why does that work? He's an adventure. Yeah, like yeah. it's extreme adventure apparel. So they make stuff that you can take on an ultra marathon. You can take on like snow cutting adventures. You can take you know on mountain climbing stuff, and it's super versatile. And so instead of just being like, yeah, you could use this stuff, you know, climbing Mount Everest, but you're probably just gonna do it on a cold run, you know, <laughs> somewhere in Chicago in the streets. Yeah. What if you you know, had to go to somewhere in the mountains or yeah, something. You actually have to use this for the thing that is its full potential. And then it forces people to do it. And then he said, you know, people were getting on planes that night to fly out to where what? they thought it was. It's crazy. Oh my God. To activate people like that instead of just being like, go for that run that you did, you've been wanting to do, or train for the marathon that you want to do with the cool goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that whole aspect of adventure and, and forcing yourself to do something that was literally there's no other adventure like this. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's really cool. So I was listening to that. I'm like, that's pretty cool, Steve. So I think they're going to do another one. Nobody's found it. Everybody, you know, this is the funny thing about the internet is as soon as they posted it, it's if you are familiar with some of the clues in the video. So that's basically like Ready Player One. That's kind of what he did. I haven't seen the movie, but I know I know the concept. But but the thing is, everybody on the internet, the funny thing about the internet was everybody was like, oh, yeah, if you're familiar with a couple adventure aspects, they make it seem very obvious in the video where this one specific spot is. And so everybody on the internet immediately, as soon as it comes out, oh, it's in this one spot, says, you know, 50 different commenters. And so that's the funny thing about the adventures. Like, okay, maybe, maybe it's there. Maybe that's a, you know, like a false flag or maybe they're a diversion. But maybe, even if it is there, you just commenting on the internet and saying that like you found it doesn't do anything. You have to show up. Like it forces you to take action it forces you to like show up and be there and climb the mountain yeah you know like you're dive, actually whatever. part of this yeah that's pretty cool so in a world where everybody is like you can interact you can do more things with people without you know leaving your computer or getting out of bed it forces you to be like oh i want this i have to go do something about it yeah oh that's super cool the biggest issue that brands do is they don't position the audience as the hero the audience is the one who should get transformed. And by the way, like Duarte says that for speeches. Like that's one of the things I find myself saying all the time. The audience is the hero. The audience is the one who gets transformed. I think the clarity thing is one of those things that's completely underrated. And I, I did a podcast a couple weeks ago on like quarterly planning and just one of the ways that I've been trying to get more clear with my own goals on what I'm trying to do. And I found everybody's always looking for the next productivity thing. Everybody's looking, you know, how do I get more done? And I keep coming back to, for me, it's not even necessarily about focus all the time. I feel like I can do a couple different things decently well, but it's all about clarity on what am I trying to do and where am I trying to go. And when I'm clear on that, then it's easier to be more productive. It's easier to get more stuff done. It's easier to you know get other people on board. And when my head is cluttered and I'm thinking about 20 different things different ways and I haven't gotten real clear on what I want to do or what I want other people to do, then everything gets tougher. So maybe that's a good transition because one of the things that, you know, guys, <laughs> we're talking about stories, we're talking about, you know, giving speeches. And if you're not giving speeches or, you know, you don't have your own company, that maybe that doesn't make sense. But one of the things that I've always found, we'll talk about your friend, Donald Miller, who wrote the book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And since the beginning of Possible, there's basically been three different influences that made me start impossible and one was sean ogle showing me that like oh there's someone out here doing something that i want to do 
One was Chris Gilbo, who was you know traveling to every country in the world. And I was like, man, that seems awesome. And the third one was Donald Miller. And I don't know why they're all in Portland. I don't know what's the deal with, or Don was in Portland, but I don't know why everybody was in Portland. Good undisclosed coffee shops, man. Yeah. <laughs> but when he wrote A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, it's basically about he was editing his life to make into a movie. They had a, he had a specific memoir they were turning into a movie. And this was about him editing parts of that book to make into a movie and looking at his life like a story. And so he talks about life as a story, how to edit like your life as a story, and then going forward, how to create things that tell better stories. Yeah. And that was one of the first things that made me start Impossible, where I was like, I am living a terrible story. I'm living in my parents' basement. Uh, I'm watching reruns of Burn Notice, which is a great show, but... But you actually were living in your parents' basement? Yeah. I feel like that's a cliche thing people... No, like. no. I was like, I graduated from college in 2009, and... I was trying to figure out the internet. I was trying to figure out WordPress. I tried to install WordPress probably, I think I overwrote my own database on WordPress a dozen times before I figured out, oh, you're not supposed to install it in the same directory because you'll just delete all the stuff you've already built. So I was trying to do that. I was trying to figure out like this whole internet thing. I was reading Chris's stuff. I was seeing Sean start dabbling. And then I got laid off from UPS from seasonal work right around the time that Sean went to thailand i think is the way that timing uh-huh. worked out and i was like you know i'd love to quit my job and go to thailand i can't even get a job and so i was living in my parents basement after a few months i think i upgraded to my sister's couch <laughs> so i was i was doing really good there. things were looking up yeah at the point where i moved to my sister's couch i actually started to have i had a reason for it there's a company that i had kind of nagled an apprenticeship with and i had started kind of looking at I'd read this book. I started looking at my life as a story. I started seeing that like, okay, I'm a character in the story. And my character right now is just watching other people tell cool stories with their life. They're like, hey, wow, that's really cool thing Chris is doing. That would be cool to do someday. And oh, Sean's doing something cool. Like, I'd like to do something eventually. But he wasn't doing anything about it himself. And so Mm. when I looked at my life like a story, I realized it was just a story about a guy in a movie theater watching other people's movies. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's a terrible story. And so... That's a long way to say when I started to realize, you know, maybe you're not giving speeches, guys. Maybe you're not giving, you know, you don't have a company. You're not trying to sell a story in that way. But one of the things I realized is like you can tell a good story with your life. And that's one of the interesting ways where if you can start doing that, you can figure out what the good elements of a story are and you can start applying them in your own life. You can start changing a lot of different things. Mm. And so that's what I'm curious about. You know, the next piece that I wanted to talk with you about is when you take these elements from a story and you start applying them into life. A lot of the same things that you talked about previously apply. Like if you're not clear on what you're trying to do, you're probably not going to do it. I'm curious on your thoughts on things that Don talks about, the things that you talk about, you know, when training people and then applying it to life as far as choosing, you know, what storylines you want to tell with your life. I think about this stuff a lot, man, because I don't know what age this started, but at some point, probably in your 20s, you might not realize it, but you've written a story for yourself. And that story looks like your habits. So habit one plus habit two plus habit three plus all your other habits equals your story. And when you have all these habits and you've not consciously written a story, you just do the same things all the time, which is really cool if that happens to lead you to travel to every country in the world. But like... That's not what Chris Gilbo did. I'm sure one day he sat down and he's like, no, no, no. This is what my story is going to be. I don't know if you use that phrasing or not. Most of us live in Joel and his parents' basement lands. Like, not literally in living in our parents' basement, but at that stage of your life, 
you had a bunch of habits that were combining to tell you a story of I wake up on the couch, I go to work, I come home, I watch Burn Notice. I mean, that's what, that's what your story was. That's what it was. And I'm guessing most people, like the details would change, but that's what their story is. It's one of routine. To break that, you have to consciously figure out another story that you're telling yourself. I went back to Richmond two years ago. Again, I went to college there and I, you know, I saw one of my friends that I hadn't seen in 10 years or something. He was a pretty scrawny kid in college and he was jacked. Like when I saw him 10 years later, he's jacked. And I'm like, Flexi, his name is Jeff, but we always called him Flexi. I was so taken aback by it. And on one hand, you're like, well, why would you be taken aback by it? Anybody can lift weights. Anybody can do that. The secrets are out there. I spent a good amount of time thinking about it. And it was like, at some point, he started telling himself a different story. He wasn't going to be scrawny guy anymore. Like Jeff was going to be someone who attacks life. And that involves lifting weights and doing push-ups. And I don't know what his exercises were exactly, but he, that was part of it. So to make real change in life, you actually do have to tell your story. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is right now you're telling some sort of story with your life. It just might not be that interesting. And it might be pretty routine-based. One of my pet peeves is like, it's becoming really common for people to say, I need to just share my story. I need to speak my truth. And that's another phrase for another time. And we can talk about all the details <laughs> of that. But one of the things that drives me crazy is people just, they always want to talk about what happened to them or what their story is up to this point. And very few people want to talk about where that story is going next. And what's interesting for me is Don defines a story as a character who wants something and is willing to overcome obstacles to get it. And when people talk about like sharing your story, a lot of people talk about, here's the stuff that it's happened to me or things, you know, existed or life happened. And not very often do you get someone who's like, here's what happened to me, and then here's the things that are happening next. And the transition there, I think, is realizing that you're the character in the story, but you're also partly the author. Yep. And you can sit down and you can start rewriting. If you're on stage and you're like, okay, what do I want the audience to get out of this? You can do that with your life. You say, you know, where's the audience starting and where are they ending? You can look at your life and say, like, okay, where are you starting and where do I want you to end? And if you get stuck and if you come to hard decisions or you don't know what to do, it's like, pick the thing that's going to tell the better story. It's about to tell the better story. And that is the one thing that I found is way more helpful in helping me to do hard things and make hard decisions and do big challenges because you're able to sit down and be like, well, <laughs> if nothing else, I'm 30 miles into this race and I am dying, but this is going to make some sort of story, I think, when I'm done with it. You know, <laughs> How do you, far do you take that though? Because like right now, we, like Jess and I could go sell our house Moved to Thailand with no plan. Yep. But I mean, that sounds better than waking up on Monday and going to work, but like, it's not actually the better thing for us to do. Well, the thing there is more about a lot of people say, yeah, okay, I'm going to quit my job, move to Thailand. And they move to Thailand and they have to move back in six months because they ran out of money and they didn't really right, think this right, through. Right, yeah. And so that's not a very good story because <laughs> that character wasn't doing something heroic. They're doing something stupid. Yeah, that's true. Like, if you were a TV show, you'd be like, Mike, why? Oh, come on. Yeah, Batman doesn't just go out and start fighting criminals without training anyone. Yeah, yeah or right, yeah. ever going through any sort of training or learning something or making his billion dollars first. Every hero action sequence has like you know a mentor and then a training sequence and then you know learning stuff and getting humbled and then going back out and doing it. And so that's where I think the idea that a lot of people and we can go off into this tangent too is a lot of people want to say you know good story 
is happiness or people are just optimizing for happiness or in the moment happiness. And that's kind of become like the name of the game. Follow your passion. Just do whatever feels really good right now. And the things that I found are if you're living a good story and you have a good endpoint for where you're trying to go, it gives you way more resilience to go through harder times. And so if you're doing something that maybe not be like, maybe you're at a job you don't like, maybe you're doing something that you're you're not super pumped about, but there's a reason. Yeah, you give yourself deeper purpose in what you're doing. Yeah, you have a purpose, you have a reason for doing it. Then you're like, you know, I'm not just going, waking up and going to work every day. I'm going to work every day because I'm providing for my family or I'm doing something X, Y, Z. There's a reasoning there that exists that's apart from I'm just waking up and going to my job because that's what I Mm -hmm. I do every day. Mm Mm-hmm. How often do you feel like your story changes? Because here's why I'm asking this. I love reading a memoir. It's my favorite type of book to read. Josh Hamilton's his baseball player. Greatest memoir I've ever read. But the problem is the memoir ends. And he's, I don't know, 32 at the end of the memoir. If you just read the memoir and don't research his life, you're like, I mean, I cried reading that book, like goosebumps. And what happened after it, so the way that it's packaged in a book is incredible and inspiring, et cetera, et cetera. But it lets the reader end right there. Meanwhile, Josh has 40, 50 years left of his life. And what happened in real life is like, that's the end of that particular narrative. And then bad things started happening to him. And then, you know, like, I don't know him personally. So I don't, I don't know how much of this is an editor said, no, 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 leave that out and da, da, da. But it strikes me, like, it makes sense to me that part of the reason why bad things started happening is because publishing the book felt like the end of the story. His story is he had like substance abuse that he overcame. So it strikes me that publishing the book makes it feel like it's the end of the story and we're all good. But in real life, probably at that point, he needed to either continue with the same story or find another narrative. Does that make sense? Yeah, find a new slant. Yeah, or that whole published book was actually a chapter of life. I think what happens for most people is that even even the routines they find themselves in that they're now bored of maybe have been a good story to start with that they played out too long and they got to, it transformed them to a specific point. But at that point, then they kind of stalled out and they got to a point that that was comfortable. And so it's sort of, you know, this is one of the things I've been working on right now is like at a specific point, this story plays out. Even the way you introduce yourself plays out. You know, for me, the UPS story is a a part of my story, but if I still view myself as, like a laid off UPS employee, then like I haven't grown that much. And so I've been working on both conceptualizing what I'm doing with Impossible differently, but also working on kind of how I'm conceptualizing myself and kind of the setup that I want to have differently than I was, you know, when I got laid off and then, you know, first started growing Impossible, then had a lawsuit, then did 777. And they're all specific chapters. I think Steve Martin has a whole section on how he approaches life in like 10 year increments. And so every mm. 10 years, he tries to like, I could be wrong on this, but I think this is, I think it's Steve Martin. It would make sense that it's Steve Martin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 10 years, like he wanted to be a really good comedian. So he like really yeah. killed it for 10 or 20 years. And then he became really good at like the banjo or something like that. And now he's in a bluegrass band of some sort. That's really interesting because most comedians lose their mind and Steve Martin hasn't. And I bet that's one of the reasons why. When you think of it, it's like, okay, there's a memoir. And if you write a memoir and that's what you think about your entire life and you're 32, when you finish that memoir, you're finishing, like you said, the story too early. Yeah. Like you just wrote your peak. You got 60 years left. Yeah. (laughs) You either have to, you know, draw that peak out for another 60 years, which is 
probably not that fun. Or you write, you know, that's a chapter in a, like a tome of books and you write five of those, six of those, seven of those. Yeah. Even if it's not literally published. Yeah. A lot of the things that, you know, when we've talked about speaking, telling a good story on stage directly applies to a lot of things in life where it's like cut out a lot of the fluff. It's not necessarily getting you anywhere. Be clear with your message. Have an end goal for what you want your character to become. And then when you focus on that, it's easier to do that. Yeah, totally. If so much of it is editing, I don't have any like wisdom beyond that, except just like, let's think about a story in and of itself. We're all in the middle. Stories begin in the middle and end in the middle, unless it starts on day one of your life, which is unlikely. So there's some degree of editing anyway. And keeping the audience in mind, you have to edit it down to the stuff that makes it like easiest for them to understand. And I don't want this to be like, you have to live your life for other people, but even if you think about your audience as like your future self, I'd be like, yeah, I want to do something that like future Joel is going to be pretty happy. I did, you know, I know when I was finishing seven, 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 there's a bunch of points where I was like, I should give up or maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. I should quit. And then I was just like, you're not going to sleep well forever if yeah. you don't finish this. So you're going to finish this and you're going to figure it out. Oh, that's yeah, dude, that's great advice. Like try to take a bird's eye view. There's this character named Joel from 2022 Looking back at Joel from 2018, what does 2022 Joel think of present Joel? If Joel would not have finished that thing, he would have been very mad at him. It was one of those things, even when I thought up the idea in the first place, I was like, if I don't do this, I don't want to do that because it seems really hard and I have no idea how I'm going to do it. But now that the idea is in my head, I can't not do it. And if I don't do it, then I'm not going to sleep well forever. Man, that applies to so much. I mean, I've tried to do that too. I haven't worded it the way that you just did, but I've tried to, I guess, be the future Mike looking at present Mike, specifically in my marriage, where I think sometimes I've treated my marriage like I'm a like I'm a government official or something, which is to say, if nobody's complaining, then then we're we're fine. But there was a day where I I had this realization and it was like I was being future Mike that was saying, okay, let's look at how you're doing this thing. I don't cook that much. Let's take that as an example. Okay, Jess doesn't complain about it. But if I want to live the story of a good husband who really sacrificed himself for his wife and made her life better and made our lives collectively better, wouldn't I cook more? Or at least be able to do something besides like order food? I don't know. That's a really basic example. but I think it's important because it's the basic stuff like where you get practice. And then you get practice and you know, you're practice telling your cocktail story. And then you're going to be a better speaker on stage. Like yeah. You practice doing one little thing in a small area of your life where not very many people are effective. That's the whole point of culture therapy is culture therapy is you practice being physically uncomfortable for uh-huh. five minutes and the practice lets you be able to get better. Yeah, that at, permeates with everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Bruce Lee quote about, uh, you have to constantly exceed your limits. And if you don't exceed your limits, if you always limit yourself, it permeates into everything. And uh, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And this guy, he's doing like, I think he's like an author's interviewing him or something like that. They're running really hard and there's like seven miles at like a pretty good clip or something. And you're running with Bruce freaking Lee, you know? So, (laughs) and there's one point where he's just like, I can't keep going. I'm going to die. And he's like, then die. What? And and Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee says that he's like, if you're not constantly exceeding your limits, if you're always going to be putting limitations on yourself, then it's going to permeate into everything else. And so this guy's like, you know, when it's running, you're at a certain point, like people have had a heart attack and marathons and died. Okay. But a lot of people are, you've got like a self-limiter on and you're like, okay, this is really uncomfortable and I want to stop. But if you keep pushing through it, like a lot of times you can find your second wind, you can find a way to just kind of persevere and then 
find a new breath and keep going. And like he was able to do that in that situation. And that quote has just always kind of been in the back of my head mm. ever since I read it, where it's like the reason why impossible and I focus on so much like physical stuff is like, I find doing that practice with your physical body lets you do other. It establishes a mentality that yeah. allows you to do other And a, a reference point where you can point to like, I was very uncomfortable that and I didn't think I was going to yeah. be able to finish it and I did it anyways. Well, and so there's something really interesting there that I think is good advice for people, which is it's okay to start with somebody else's story, like to borrow somebody else's story. You're essentially starting with Bruce Lee's story. You could say I start with David Goggins' story. I saw Goggins run his first ultra marathon. I was like, holy hell, this man is a beast. And I was like, I would like to be like a little beast. Like I don't need, you know, like I'd like to be like a mini beast. I would like to be like more beastly than I am and uh, take a few steps to get there. And so I started by doing an ultra marathon and that was the first one I did. Going back to what you were saying about your marriage is like a lot of people discount doing something small like that because they're like, oh, no, I need to go move to Thailand. I need to go do something epic and crazy. And a lot of times it's like, no, you can do like one little thing today that's going to improve things. And what I found is, you know, when you have that reason, when you have that like perspective and you pull yourself out of it, you do the thing where you said 2022 Joel is looking back on Joel 2018 and like, what is he hoping that Joel in 2018 did? Just that perspective alone lets you sustain way more, I want to say abuse in like a, a physical way for, you know, like marathons and everything. It lets you get through way more crap than you thought you'd be able to bear. Yeah. You know what would be good for people, I think, is uh, try to boil that down to a sentence. I'm big on that in general. A sentence is something you can remember. Yeah. Obviously, you can remember more than a sentence, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just easier to remember. I mean, there's a reason why it was make America great again, not make America a country that has more jobs and where the economy's flowing. I don't know what else Trump wanted to do with that, but like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a reason why it's short. I like the idea of doing that because I've, with quarterly planning and yearly planning, a lot of times people will be like, here's your word of the year. Here's your blah, blah, blah of the year. And that's like, maybe a cool thing to focus on but you've kind of got me thinking right now just kind of on top of my head is like what if you made your sentence of the year like what is your character doing this year where are they moving to by the end of the year and what does that get you and then you have like a mini story of one year and then instead of getting stuck on it because sometimes people are like okay you know i've been trying to do the same thing for like 10 years and you know maybe that's not getting me where i want to be but like what's this year's story going to be and then how do you arrange your life activities to do that? That's super interesting. So here's one of my advices. When, when you're telling a cocktail party story, I think I can make these two things link. When you're telling a cocktail party story, like if I'm telling a story and Joel is involved, like you, I'm not talking about hypothetical Joel, like actually you, and I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know you. Well, I make the story better if I give a quick description of you. So it's not, well, Joel was, Joel grew up in Chicago and, you know, he went to college in, I think, Wheaton or something. And after college, he lived with his parents. And that's not good because it, it crushes the flow of it. And it's too, it's too long. It's too much to remember. What I should do, though, if Joel is a character in my story, I should build it down to a sentence that's just a sentence that's like, Joel is my friend who doesn't quit. Boom. Like, they know who you are instantly. Like, you know that person. Or my friend Mindy who was at this undisclosed coffee shop earlier, she's like, I'm the type of person who reads about sports in the Wall Street Journal. Boom. You know that person. You know that person. Our friend Pat Flynn. Like, I would describe Pat. Pat is the type of person who finishes an online course. Boom. You know that person. Describing my wife, Jess is the type of person who decides on the paleo diet on Sunday and on Monday, she's cooking with almond flour. 
you know that person. So that's a good thing when you're telling a story, cocktail party story. It's also a good thing for you. Now here's the linkage I'm making. That's a good thing to determine about yourself so that in those hard moments, it's I'm the guy who doesn't quit or I'm the guy who finishes the online course or I'm the woman who reads about sports in the All Street Journal. That one's a little less inspiring, but (laughs) I'm the one who finishes the marathon this year. Those things matter. And I know it sounds cheesy to some people, but like those things matter. One of the things I've tried to make true about myself was by the time I say I'm going to do something, uh, it's already decided. Mm. Like I know this changes for some people. Like some people will process things verbally and they just talking it out with friends. And I'm very much internally deliberate to the point where this is what made me finish 777 was if I say I'm going to do it, it's already done. I just need to do the work. Like if I say I'm going to show up, it, I'm showing up. Um, I'm just have to just time has to progress to that moment in time. And so when 777 got tough and I hurt myself and the lawsuit happened and all these things came up, I sort of knew that I wasn't going to be able to let myself off the hook. And if I did, I was just going to beat myself up for it forever. So I was just like, I don't really care, but you're going to have to figure this out. And then there's a couple other things like this was the last year they're going to do Antarctica 100K ever. And so if I wanted to do it, I had to get on my horse and do it that January. And then I had a, you know, X amount of time to, to line up everything else. And I just forced myself into that box. Of like, okay, you have to execute all these things by this amount of time. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, I just can't, I can't seem to stick with something. I can't seem to... Yeah. And that's the story. That's the story they're telling themselves about that. I'm the guy who doesn't stick with things. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you go out there and try to run a marathon? Maybe that's the first step is finding a reason to uh, change that story and then actually changing the narrative about who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a terribly original narrative. It doesn't. Narratives are recycled, but people like them because you're cheering for that person. Yeah. There are theories about how many different stories there are. And some people say six. And I think the most anybody estimates is like 40. Out of all the stories and all the books and all the movies, that's it. I think a lot of my life, I would have put pressure on my... Like, actually, the story I would have told myself was, you're the person who comes up with an original story. And I guess that's not bad. If that helps me look at life that way, what it actually did for me is it added a lot of confusion to my life. A lot of pressure to like make sure it's original. <laughs> yeah, that's and actually as soon as story. someone comes up with something, yeah. you're like, oh, no, that's I'd yeah. be more original. Yeah. So like that could have worked for my story if I was really, really committed to it. But I was committed to it until there was any resistance and then I just fell apart. Anyway, my point with that is, I guess I'm going back to that same thing. It's okay to use a story that's similar to someone else's at least to get started. Really basic example. Athletically, I've always been medium strong mentally. I basically never have enjoyed putting myself in a position where other people might see me struggle. When I've done like a half marathon, I'll run pretty slow for like six miles so that when I finish, <laughs> I'm not gassed. So you look good kicking in. Yeah, I guess. Last year, I read this book. So Scott Hamilton, like the figure skater, I read his book, Finish First. And I don't know. This is a really basic example, but I was running laps. I got tired. And usually I would stop when I got tired. And I mean like actually tired, not just like it got a little hard, but like I was actually tired. It was that I think six miles I got actually tired. I was like, you know what? Scott's book is all about not quitting and finishing first. And part of finishing first is pushing beyond where you can go. So I'm like, let me just see. Let me just, just see. And I made it to eight miles. Tons of people can run eight miles. But on that day, I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to push myself further. 
That was a really good thing. And I'm just copying what millions of people have thought before. I think most people don't know, you know, this is a refrain again, but most people don't know what they're capable of until they put themselves in a way where they have to like fight their way out of it. One of the things I love about adventure races is it puts you out in the middle of nowhere and then you kind of have to get yourself home. So I did a race in Switzerland and you run up top of two mountains and it was raining and it was freezing and I was dying, but you could get a helicopter maybe to come get you off that mountain or you could just suck it up until you got down off the mountain on your own. And I don't want to say, you know, life is easy because life is not easy, but comparatively to any other time in history, like life isn't so bad right now. And I don't think most people realize how strong they have to be until they have to be it. And when you don't have to be it, then you're, the onus is on you to push yourself to that point. And yeah. you have to say, you know, today I'm going for it. What about you? What's the next story that you're trying to tell? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I feel like I'm in a little bit of story transition, man. Like the previous three years was get my wife into nursing school, get through nursing school, get her to become a nurse. So at all times, my story had a mix of what I could do to support her with those things. So it was, you know, it was a story of be a supportive husband, both monetarily and in action. That's what it was for a while. But now, I mean, she's actually a nurse now. I mean, she's two months into being a nurse. It's not like I'm not going to be supportive anymore, but there's less of the mic focus elsewhere stuff. So life-wise, my story still is always going to be, I want to be as good a husband as I can be while contributing to society. So that's part of it. But there's also some transition. Like, I'm not quite sure what the next part of that is. So that's, that's a wait and see. Professionally, there are a lot of people out there with really, really good ideas that cannot communicate them. The better I can help that person communicate their ideas, the better. So my, my story is to try to help people who are having trouble or who have something that should be interesting, but they can't make it interesting or something that's really beneficial, but they're talking about email marketing and they feel like all they're saying is like, well, here's how you do a subject line. I am trying to help that person present it in a way that resonates with their audience. Sean was on here last week and we were talking about, you know, he said something one of the things that he's noticed recently in his blog has become like some of his blog has become commoditized where it's just like people are talking about how to do email marketing, et cetera. And the thing that drew people to his site and originally was the story. So he's trying to bring back the story and put it back. No, like that. Sean's story of being corporate world. And then, yeah. Yep. And so that's kind of one of the things that I see. There's a ton of space where people are trying to tell stories or people have great stories they don't know how to communicate yeah. them so. or they've or they've put those stories on like in a part of their brain where it's on autopilot and you've forgotten the story which i would, i mean i don't know i haven't talked to sean about it but I, the beginning of that story was a long time ago i could see him being that way for sure yeah. i would be that way just tapping into and, and finding stories where maybe people think it's normal and they're like oh yeah that's a, a pretty normal thing but uh finding out that there's yeah. like more there that you can yeah yeah, yeah there's a deeper there's a deeper layer there's more character development if you will if people are interested in you know learning to tell a better story working on you know their communication techniques where can they find that from you yes yeah, sir uh so the company I work for is called duarte d-u-r-a-t-e duarte.com i blog about thoughts on storytelling and presentations and that's at mikepacchione.com and i will definitely link to that because Still can't spell it right. <laughs> There's an H. Nobody yeah. ever gets that. <laughs> like actual friends leave that out. Pacquiao sounds like CK. It's got the, like the CK sound. No? 
No, so what most people do is because it's P A C C H. Most people are like patch, patch, like patching. I was saying patch for a while. Yeah. Well, and it's supposed to be. It's actually pronounced Pacchione, but we just we're American, and somewhere along the lines, the Italian pronunciation got dropped. When you're in Italy, you can add. Oh yeah, I also become Michaela in Italy. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, I will put those in the show notes. Thank you for coming on the podcast, and uh, let's do it again soon. Hey, everybody. So that's it for the show. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts these days and leave a rating review. It helps us reach more people and it's the number one way you can help us keep doing the show. Also, consider checking out uh, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. That was the book that made me start considering my life as a story and what I could do to start living a better story and doing impossible challenges that made for a better story in general. So check that out as well. Also, while you're living a better story, go get an impossible shirt, wear it doing your next challenge, send it in, and I'll post it around the site, on Instagram, everywhere. That's awesome. I love seeing you guys actually go out and not just talk about doing stuff, but actually doing it. Also, movewellapp.com, 10-minute mobility routines to help you get stronger, get faster, and get injured less or recover from the injuries that you already have. Push your limits, but take care of your body. So check it out at movewellapp.com. It's a free app, so there's literally no excuse not to download it. That's it for today's show. Let's wrap it up. I will see you guys here, right here, same time, next week. And until then, keep pushing your limits and do something impossible. Impossible.